0: Yeah, on Two Twins Yeah
1: Yeah We're actually to Here's how really Really how we should Start the episode Is just with Feel like th- this episode, if it's going to start the way that uh, that the album starts, it just goes right into it. I mean, it, it, is there another example I could think of one? But do you know of any other examples where an album like literally just starts off with zero fluff? I mean, typically there's maybe a little guitar doodle, yeah, some chords. I mean, ah, yeah, ah, you know, yeah. It
0: doesn't it doesn't mess around, does it? Um I can't say nothing offhand. I know there are certainly some where like you get right into it, you know, no effing around, you know, let's just start the piece, you know, but I think that's part of the charm. Hey, you know, I tried to call you last night. If, if I may, speaking of not getting right to it, I'm going to derail us for a second.
1: Uh Oh, is this going to be about uh, Brett Denon? No, 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 no,
0: He is not included on this list. So what I'm about to talk about is concerts. There, there are all these concerts coming up and I, I tried to call you last night to, to go through like what you'd want to go to and what you wouldn't want to go to. So I figured what the hell, let's just do it on the air, you know? Okay. Um, but maybe we should go see Brett Denon in concert, you know? And, uh, this is like heckle him in the back. Be like, wait, good song, Tom Petty. Way to go. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like we can just sing the words to free fall out loud while like, he's playing that song. Play, see the world, you know? And then after he gets done, be like, play it again. It's so good. It was even better than when Tom Petty did it.
1: You know, we could just totally screw with him. Brett Denon. He would surely hear us because we'd be two of the six people that were there.
0: Yeah, it'd be us and some other people who, you know,
1: those are the people that are like,
0: man, you sound just like Tom Petty. Of course, he sounds like it's Tom Petty's song. You know, of course, he sounds like Tom, like idiots, you know yeah you have this you have this really tom Petty like quality to you of course, of course he does you know you're uh you're you're clearly still struggling with this all right are you ready for these shows <laughs> yeah okay well, let's do it go ahead so I'll just uh, you know this is i t- i took a look through all the shows coming through Detroit in the next six months, and I just figured like i you can basically i'll i'll throw it out there and you say whether you're interested in 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 joining me or not okay are You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's and go. we're also giving some free promotion to these shows. I'm, we're not even getting a kickback to this.
1: Okay. Uh, and just right off the bat, no, I don't want to go to puddle of mud at Harpo's just so you know, why not? Actually, you no, know, I kind of did want to go to that more for the venue
0: than the band is the, is Wes scallion or whatever his name is. Is he like, I thought he was like in jail or something. I don't know. It could be puddle of mud with a new singer. Guitarist, uh, songwriter. I'll tell you what, from yeah. my vantage point, that guy's been nothing more than a puddle of trouble. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. So a lot of these, uh, shows are not until like late next year, but it's good they're announcing these things. So, okay. The first is should we put on the game show music? Is yeah. That... <laughs> yeah. Right. May of 2022, the Deftones at Freedom Hill. You in? Uh, well, I already have tickets. Oh, you already have tickets. That okay. show was announced two years ago. Well, I'm glad you it's ran been... this one by me. Did you give me a ticket or? No, I was, I'm actually going with uh, with actually oh. li- listener Dave Sill. Uh, oh, see, so yeah. oh, Dave Sill, nice. Yeah. So, so okay. So you already have a date, and by and let's just note for the record that I. Hang on, they're calling about my car. Yellow. Yeah, yes.
1: Uh, your jeep
0: is all set buddy all right man that was quick thank you uh, no, uh, no problem we're here till six you guys do some great work over there no problem i appreciate that man all right take care bye yep you
1: too See, do you have to give him the jeep wave over the phone yeah <laughs> should we leave that in the show yeah, we should leave that in like okay. normally we'd edit that out but let's leave it in okay cool. I, that guy sounded like a jeep guy he's like hey buddy you know your, your jeep's ready thumbs up jeep wave The
0: Jeep wave is pretty awesome. I mean, it's, or it's a peace sign. You do either like a cool guy wave or a little peace sign, you know, but it's real. It's It's real. It is real. I thought it was a, I thought it was a myth when I first got this thing. And now it's like, you know, I have all kinds of, I have all kinds of friends now, you know, close, close friendships that last 3.5 seconds typically. So.
1: Do you want to like take another call? You want to do a food order? Yeah. You know, let's see. turn yeah. the whole episode into a,
0: uh, Hey guys, first time, long time. Uh, hey, your Jeep's ready. You know? <laughs> okay. Hey, what episode number are we on? By the way, I always uh, track this is 63, 63 Think. Okay. Yeah, all right. Mill- go on. ahead. So Millie we're from going from Millie Vanilli to Allison chains. So how about that? As all do. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, the Deftone show was announced two years ago. It's been rescheduled. Oh, so here's twice. what I was saying. I was in the process of saying, just note for the record that, you know, I not only thought of, but actually provided a tangible invite, you know, to you for that show. Meanwhile, you not only already got tickets, but you found a better date. So I just want to make clear that the dynamics of this relationship of ours right now feel a little one-sided. I'm just throwing that out there. So yeah, still's a pretty good Tone date. you should join us. Oh, really? Oh, well, that's so nice of you to say. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll do that. Okay. Yeah, that actually, I, to be honest with you, I'm going to. Um, are you in the pit? To... Did you get tickets in the pit? No, i have in the pit. If I join you, I'm probably not going to be able to sit by you guys, but who cares? All
1: right. 41 years old. So actually, I'm going mostly to see Gojira. I've never seen that. I've seen DevTones many times. Oh, they're with Gojira.
0: I didn't even say that. Okay. Yes.
1: Yes. So I really, I've never seen Gojira. And, and uh, this was my one opportunity two years ago. And then it was rescheduled to this past summer. And then it got postponed again so this would have
0: happened in in june of 2020 if it weren't for that pesky snooping coronavirus eh? if
1: it weren't for that darn covid
0: yeah i would have
1: already seen gojira
0: all right cool all right well i I probably will join for that Uh, i'll at least see you in the parking lot beforehand and you can count on me waiting for you in the parking lot okay (laughs) april april same venue freedom hill the goo goo dolls you want to go no too cool for the goo goo dolls okay that's fine
1: definitely not too cool for my love of google dolls but at this point it's like
0: mm, okay here's a good one this is in royal oak this is also in may orchestral maneuvers in the dark you in now that i would love to go to okay omd we're in yeah give me the date what about sparks april
1: that's at royal oak as well right? yeah Yeah. never seen them i'd love to go to sparks i know how much you love them so that would be one go. all right okay um i I, I will tell you too that um one I didn't ask you about that, I have my ticket to notice. Can ticket. I guess? Can I guess? You know it. Yeah. Gary Newman. No, no. I'm oh. not going to Newman. Actually, he just came. I think he was already. No, here, he's, right?
0: no he's, at, he's, go, he's playing at the L Club in downtown Detroit in March. Oh, he moved it. Yeah. Are he you He was in? just going to be here. Oh, well, At the L Club? That yes. pesky coronavirus. I'm telling you, they moved everything. Okay. Are you in for that? I yes, assume you are. What's the date? And speak, I speak. Machine is playing with whoever that is. Um, What's the date on that? March nineteenth March at the L Club.
1: Yeah. Okay. No, Mark. that's that's not the show. The show that I'm going to is Mashuga at Royal Oak Music Theater, and I oh. can't wait. It'll be the second time seeing them. Yeah, I would go to that.
0: Would you? Sure. Am I too heavy for you? No. Come on. <laughs> I'm tough. <laughs> All right. Uh, March Manchester Orchestra. No. Where's that one at? Uh, Fillmore. Okay. Okay. Saginaw, March 6th. Kind of weird that it's in Saginaw, the Sag Nasty, but uh, Kansas doing the point of no return. Absolutely. On the deal. Okay. Okay. Interesting one here. Um, Tool. I know. I had the same (laughs) same reaction. I had the (laughs) same reaction. I think it's going to be the same fear inoculum show that we already saw. uh, Ish. Right. I don't know. I'm very... I'm torn on that, mostly because of the venue. You know, it's like it's at Little Caesars Arena. Like, I'm sure there's no good seats available. If you're not going, I may do one of those moves where I pay an ungodly amount of money for like a really good seat, and just go solo. Okay, uh, December, Our Lady Peace, St. Andrews Hall.
1: No, because okay. it's not really Our Lady Peace. No Jeremy yeah. Taggart on drums. That's true. No Steve Turner on guitar. Even though I do like Steve Mazur. And the basis is different. I mean, it's basically rain and a bunch of higher guns.
0: That's a good point. Oh, what about Silver Sun pickups? November 8th, St. Andrew's Hall.
1: Would you go to that with me? I'm going to say maybe to that. You're so into them that yeah. I'd love to see what it's all about. I do like the first record. I haven't really enjoyed anything since, but. Okay, here's the last one.
0: Sleigh Bells in, uh, at the Magic Stick. Would you go to that? I'd it's go because it's at the stick. February. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. And, that's and all I got. For the hang. And for the, well, thank you. That's nice of you. All right. Sorry. It's your show. I just, I, uh, I figured let's just, you know, you, you wouldn't pick up my, my phone call last night. So I figured
1: let's just do it here, you know? So, I mean, look, the last time that you hijacked the show, we got Brett Denon out of it. So, yeah, right. I, look, <laughs> right. it, you know, it's great. It's great. I've no, I've no problem. Uh, let's get dirty and, uh, cast our minds back to when we were 12 years old. I'm not sure there's a more unlikely hit album than Alice in Chains' Dirt, if you really look at it on the whole. Now, at its time, you can see it. You understand it. But in retrospect, and I've listened to this record so many times uh, you know, in the last even just few years because I've had a real Alice in Chains resurgence because I went and saw him a couple of years ago. love the William Duvall edition. I think the band is still firing on all cylinders. The last three albums they put out, I think, have all been fantastic. But, you know... Dirt is something very special, very unique, but you listen to it and you think, this was a hit. This was mainstream. You know, something so dark and kind of twisted. And it it's just really refreshing to realize that there was a time not too long ago where an album like this could be a smash hit. It's so different. It was
0: so different then. It's so different now. I, you know, this is so unique. And uh No matter when you revisit it, which obviously we have just done here recently for episode 63 here, it's really fascinating to understand nobody had really made music like this prior to, and to be honest, Nubs, nobody's really made music like this since. When you put together the sludginess, the tones, the layers, and the vocal harmonies, of course there really hasn't been another band like this. And I think it's because there's magic to it. I I, I don't think this can be replicated, you know, and, and I agree with you. I think they've done a great job with the new singer. You know, it's funny to call him new now, but it's, it's a band that was good enough and had enough substance where they could, you know, pick up the pieces and move forward with somebody sort of filling the gap that Lane Staley left. But this is a very special band. I hope that this band gets its proper recognition because at a time where things were starting to become very cookie cutter in terms of grunge and in terms of rock and roll, these guys developed onto the scene, taking a completely unique, different approach that had never been heard before. And I don't think a record like Dirt has been heard you know, ever since. So it'll be fun to talk about, man.
1: No doubt about it. And and the band didn't really achieve the same output as Dirt was. I mean, I know that the self-titled is pretty revered and Jar of Flies did very well, but Jar of Flies was a much different animal than Dirt. This is clearly the pinnacle of the Lane Staley era. And at the same time, it's an album that hasn't really lived on to the level that a classic like this normally would have or should have it's not a sound that's resonating with young people today yeah. and i wonder when somebody will rediscover it especially because the band is still active so t before we get into dirt before we get dirty let's uh see what you've been listening to we know what shows we're going to now so now let's check in about three albums that we have been digging of late and let's take episode 63 round and round What's your three? Well, I,
0: I kind of already mentioned my first one as an upcoming shoe for us to go to. And that is the band Sleigh Balls. I love this band. I, I don't love everything they do as far as tracks are concerned, but the way they came on uh, this sort of two piece thing. I think the guitar player dude is very creative and the way they've kind of evolved their sound, you know, to something that certainly is touched on more of electronica, which everything has, but I think it's been very cool to kind of follow this group's progression. I think they're a very unique act and I'm looking forward to seeing them live. never seen them live. This record is called Texas, T-E-X-I-S. And uh, so far it's cool. You really sort of never know what you're going to get from these guys and uh and i think it'll be uh nice to dig into so the second i didn't even realize this this is a couple of years ago but great band feeder you know love that super band.
1: underrated I, I, overlooked i might say
0: yeah, yeah. extremely good band love feeder they released a new record like three ish years ago um called Talula, and i haven't heard it I just, I guess it's just one of those, you know, they're, they're from, uh, where are they from? Uh, are they Welsh or something?
1: Yeah. And their stuff doesn't get released in the U.S. I mean, I I know nowadays you can find anything anywhere, but it's, it's still a little bit challenging because, uh, I don't think any of their albums since the, the kind of two that got popular ish, um, have been, have gotten domestic releases.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that, but it, it, It did also cause me to revisit, you know, their older stuff. I mean, they're, they're, they're awesome. You know, they're, they're really, really good. band. In fact, that's a band. If you want to just pick up the singles compilation, do it, you know, and that's fine because they have a lot of albums and, you know, and some of their deep cuts are, you know, better than others, but you know, if you just want to go with, I think it's called the singles by feeder, just do it. It's a, you know, really, really nice collection worthwhile. And then the third is by Toad the Wet Sprocket, their first record in years um, called Starting Now. Haven't heard it yet, but, you know, Dulcinea was fantastic. Fear, you know, was pretty good. I like those guys, you know. I like Glenn Phillips and, and the guy with the beard, you know, who plays the bass. <laughs>
1: yeah. The, the totally 90s. Awesome band. I mean, yeah. Yeah, totally.
0: Have you heard this record? Not yet. No, I, I've yeah. been meaning to. Is it good? I I don't know. I haven't listened to it yet. It just came out like two weeks ago. So perfect.
1: perfect. Anyway, that's what's running around for me. What's running around for you, Buckaroo? First for me would be the album. Yes, I am by Melissa Etheridge. I've always loved this album. This is a uh, it's kind of a mid 90s staple. It's got I'm the only one, which is a song that I've always just completely loved. I, yes, you know, the- I am. Do you remember that commercial with uh, it was a beer commercial? The
0: Dr. Galakowicz you remember that one and i am mr Gally Weekich.
1: you're yes. dr galakowicz yes i am
0: yes i am <laughs> <laughs> one of great- the great yeah great call great call on uh i am mr Gally wikich you mean dr galakowicz Yes, I am. Yeah, that's a good and one. And then he's in the limo drinking the Bud Light or whatever. Totally. That was, great. Yeah. that was like anyway.
1: the beginning of Bud Light, just having amazing commercials. Yeah, great
0: run. Great run for of sure. advertising. Yeah,
1: for sure. So th- this album was a huge smash. And, and kind of the point earlier, Melissa Etheridge never matched it. But this had I'm the only one. It had come to my window uh, if I wanted to produced by Hugh Pagum, who's you know produced Genesis. That's my first one. Secondly, for me, would be Lifehouse, No Name Face. This, of course, with the hit Hanging By a Moment, but the rest of the album is actually really cool. Uh, are they Christian rock nub? They were ambiguous. They were Little Faith Plus One. I, I don't know exactly <laughs> where they landed on it, but I think so. They, they, look, they certainly were able to reach that uh, market. Let's just put it that way. But they weren't on a Christian label. They were on DreamWorks Records. Uh. And then third is, uh, it's a compilation, which I don't love to, to name and round and round. But in this case, I listened to it because of the two previously unreleased songs and that's typo negatives the least worst of it's got two songs on it 12 black rainbows and stay out of my dreams yeah. one of which was an outtake from the world coming down sessions and stay out of my dreams i just think is one of the best typo songs and you know they end it with the uh the beatles day in the life note just you know they were obviously such a huge beatles fans but it's got some remixes and other stuff, some edits. It's, so it's an interesting listen, but really it's for those two unreleased songs, which are just both, you know, terrific. So, see, that is what is round and round for me. Let's get into the Nerdy Deets Dunder Cheap for 1992's Allison Chain's Dirt. You want some dirty deets? Yeah. But Brian sounds so creepy when he did. Yeah. You you want some dirty deeds? Yeah.
0: I love it. That was kind of his thing. You know, he'd say something to the audience. They'd all cheer and he'd go. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's like he's cheering himself. It's like he's patting himself on the back. It's like, yeah, I
1: said something cool, didn't I? Yeah. Completely, completely. So Dirt is the second album from Alice and Chase. It felt like a debut at the time. A lot of people Maybe we weren't quite as familiar with Facelift, the true debut, but it was released on September 29th, 1992. We were 12 years old, Columbia Records. So again, a major label album. It peaked at number six on the Billboard charts, and uh, it went on to be five times platinum. And again, when you listen to it, you're just like, wow, this record was five times platinum. Unbelievable. I'm glad you clarified that we, um, because we have a new listener
0: that properly called me out for episode, this is Country Fiddle on Twitter. Hey, buddy, thanks for thanks for tuning in. Who properly went back to episode one and called me out for calling *In Utero* a sophomore album, which I had been doing because I was kind of talking major label, but but I stand corrected that you know *Bleach* technically is their first. So, uh, Country Fiddle, thanks for the correction. Thanks for listening, and this. Actually is a sophomore uh, effort from these guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So uh, five singles, and I want to stress the word "singles," because part of the reason this album and this band got on the map was the first single "Wood," which was released in June of '92, so a couple months before the album came out, as part of the singles soundtrack. And again, just the most unlikely hit song you'd ever imagine. You listen to it now, and it's like, this was on the radio. But yes, Wood was the first single. That's Wood question mark. Uh, followed by them Bones, Angry Chair, Rooster, and Down in a Hole. The album was produced by Dave Jordan, who left his mark on quite a few 90s albums and, and certainly has an impact on Alice in Chains. But th- the biggest impact on Alice in Chains, and all four of these guys are, are all, you know, really the five that have been through the band consistently, all very, very gifted musicians. You cannot take away the musicality of the band. I'll give you kind of my hot take that has gotten me a little bit of trouble over the years, but really what you're looking at is the partnership between Jerry Cantrell and Lane Staley, Lane Staley on lead vocals and a little bit of guitar. He would play guitar in angry chair when they play it live and he'd play it. He'd look a little uncomfortable, but he was playing it. And that song clearly needed two guitars,
0: Eddie Vedder style, just like he's been playing the guitar for 20 years now and still looks like it's his first time ever doing it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of true. Yeah, You kind of are, you aren't, right? Uh, Jerry Cantrell and guitars, and, and most importantly, backing vocals, all the trademark harmonies that go into the Alice in Chains sound really are Lane and Jerry singing together. And now Jerry Cantrell and William Duvall, who sound just as wonderful together. Mike Starr played bass on this album. Obviously, he is no longer in the band. He passed away in 2011 and has since been replaced by Mike Inez, who's become kind of the mainstay member of Alice in Chains and sean kinney on drums you know very very popular album had a lot of key players on it a lot of people that will go on to have great influence and uh people who were influential even at the time when you look at dave jordan so ritual Delo habitual dave jordan so exactly there you go that's exactly right
0: he did that in 90 and he did this in 1992 that's a pretty good run right there for that guy
1: Pretty, pretty good run, no doubt. Uh, one rather interesting tidbit. I mean, the album made tons of lists and has been since really heralded as, as you know, one of the high points of the whole 90s grunge movement. But what's interesting is the, the first album with William Duvall, which is Black Gives Way to Blue, it was actually released on the 17th anniversary of Dirt. So that was released on September 29, 2009. You know, a band probably wouldn't do that on accident and it's a nice little tribute that they did to Lane that the first album without him under the Allison Chain's name would uh, would come out on the same day, 17 years later. See, the only other kind of thing to go along with this is that um, the band became what you might call one of the big four. You might say of grunge. When you look at Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Allison Chains. They're they're often cited in that. And I think music history should kind of create that big 4. I mean, those are the four bands that really had the the most lasting impact on the whole grunge movement and really the 90s as a whole.
0: Yeah, certainly and and deserve to be. I, I think that this big 4 thing is is interesting even in hindsight to see the different styles that were sort of being accomplished here with, you know, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and certainly the direction that each went. You know, some some had shorter lives than others, but uh you know they deserved to be in that conversation and they were doing something much uh, different much more complex than um, really any of those other bands were and there was a lot of cool stuff going on with you know time signatures and some some metal influences and some prog influences and those things that are that were sort of working their way into the music that these bands were doing but when it boils down to it if you're looking for who was the most innovative and frankly, in many cases, the most talented just musically and vocally probably was these guys. I think you and I did a ranking of the top of the big four in one of our Q and A's. If if I'm not mistaken, I think both of us put Allison Chains first. Did we not? Or at least I know they were my top choice. I think maybe for you, they were I don't know. Maybe you put Pearl jam before them or
1: something. Yeah, it was one or two. I think I might've had Pearl jam first, but it was either one or two. I, yeah, no doubt.
0: You know what else is funny when you talked about Dave Jordan, just wrote one quick note on him. Dave Jordan was, um, I mean, he was, he did some fantastic records, obviously it was very funny. He, he, um, Dave Jordan, you know, was kind of tired of, of, of being in the limelight and kind of overwhelmed by his own success, you know, and decided to, uh, sort of lay low, you know, um, which is why he hasn't done much in the last like 10, 15 years. So, uh, you know, Dave Jordan really started getting sick of the spotlight, you know, (laughs) that's funny. It's true. It's actually true. You know, he came out and he's like, yeah, you know, just, I feel a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure to succeed. And, you know, I think I'm just going to lay low for, for a while, you know, the producer,
1: you know? So it's really funny. (laughs) It also shows you how many buckets of cash he must've made during this run because you only do that if you're feeling a little bit comfortable financially you know and that's the advantage of this time is that these albums that he worked on were so successful that
0: yeah i mean was- the last record that he you know did top to bottom was actually a record by MXPX Magnified Blad speaking of christian rock but the last record that he did that was like fairly mainstream if you will from a commercial standpoint was the Offspring Americana And he did Stabbing Westward, Darkest Days, which is a brilliantly produced record. Yeah, it's awesome. In 1998. So, I mean, you know, Dave Jordan, uh, you know, felt the pressure and, uh, you know, wanted to get out of the limelight, I guess, and uh, hasn't really done much producing uh, the last, you know, couple of decades, apparently.
1: (laughs) He's probably just playing a lot of golf. You know,
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, he might, might be have the Alice Cooper thing going on where secretly, you know, once the studio lights are off, he's like a country club guy, you know?
1: Exactly. So one last thing for Nerdy Deeds is just to look at uh, Lane Thomas Staley. He died April 5th of uh, April 5th, 2002. And obviously to complications with uh, drugs, which is a common theme of of his life. But a very, very important theme of this whole album I mean, there's entire songs just solely devoted to heroin he He died of a speedball overdose, so I mean this at thirty four i mean this this there's drugs and then there's heavy drugs, and that's unfortunately what Lane Staley became addicted to and and led to you know great bouts of depression and And all these sort of, you know, common rock and roll ethos that we've heard way too often. But I think it's one of the really shining examples of the art reflecting a person's life. Just the the way he sang, the tone of his voice, the desperation of his vocal style. And the music meant something more to him than just a job. And you can tell that and and i think that's one of the things that resonated. So there's explicit drug connections to the Dirt album and there's obviously, you know, implicit connections in the sense that he was struggling, he was always struggling and music for him was gosh it almost seemed more like a refuge than an art. And i think that comes through in their sound. And we'll we'll visit that in the track by track for sure because like i said there ain't no mystery about it, you know what i'm saying T so so, yeah, but, but I want to hear your wonder story because, I, you know, Elsa Chains Dirt was your album of the year in 1992. Mine, on the other hand, was Duff Leppard Adrenalized. So that shows you a little bit about what music was like in 1992, that those were kind of our coexisting albums of the year. But uh, I want to hear your Chains story. I also, I believe you've never seen this band live and that must that must eat at you a little bit. Mano, maybe you'll correct me that you have, but I don't think you have. Um, y- you are absolutely correct. Yeah. You've seen Cantrell, because right. we saw Cantrell open for Metallica with days of the new Jerry Cantrell and Metallica. Okay. First, our first Metallica show. Okay. Okay. And he was, you know, it was awesome, but it wasn't Alice and Chains. It was different. All right, T. Well, let's get into the Wonder Stories. I want to hear your experience with Alice and Chains and Dirt. All right, T, dig up some dirt. What's your Alice Shane's Chains Wonder story?
0: Dude, I dig up some dirt. Nice. Um, dude, I have a very distinct story on this one. And it's really the only one I never saw him live, to your point. Um, you know, album of the year, 1992, you know, which I think I've noted before. But here's the, here's the Alice and Shane's story for me. No exaggeration. I think for about three years of my life, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's quite a bit actually when you think about daily. So every morning I would get up and I would probably maybe shower optional around those years, around that time. And I would play wood, usually more than once. I just would blast it. I just would freaking blast it. And it was my like, get up, get ready song. It just got me like fired up for the day. Uh, th- this is in like seventh, eighth, ninth grade, I guess it would have been it was around the single it was on. I, I would play it off the single soundtrack, you know, particularly at first, um, because that soundtrack came out well before dirt. Um, and, and that was the only way to access the song before dirt came out. And obviously it's the last track on it. Um, which I, I think is basically the band saying, okay, here, you know, this was already on here. So we'll just slap it on top of what we've already recorded and, and, and released here. But there was a period of my, uh, of my life where every single day started the day with wood. So that's it, man. That, that's my wonder story about these. That's my biggest memory of these songs. Every time I hear wood, I am taken back to, you know, getting ready for school in the morning, uh, during those years, every day, which I'm sure you could hear from the room next door. So what's <laughs> your, uh, what's your wonder story, buddy? I know you got, you've seen these guys a few times. And, and one of the things I've always appreciated is that you've really stuck with these guys with Duval and those type of deals. And, and, uh, and, uh, so I know that you've created a lot of longevity with this band, which is awesome. I love that you've done that.
1: You know, it's true. I, I, I appreciate and enjoy them now much more than I did in 1992 for me. It's, it's a very similar story to it's, it's the wood song and video and the singles thing. But I remember with wood, it was, I mean, there were a few things. Number one, I was like, okay, this song starts with bass. That's kind of weird and unique. I remember Lane Staley's look, he had, you know, the slick back hair and the sunglasses and the chin thing. And I was like, okay, that's, that's an interesting look. And just the, the, the dual vocals, you know, Jerry sings the verse and then Layden sings the chorus. And I'm like, okay, that's unique. I mean, just right off the bat with their first single, their first introduction to the world outside of Man in the Box, which let's be honest, Facelift was not, it, it was not a huge album. I mean, Man in the Box was a song, but it was dirt and it was wood that exploded Allison Chains. Again, I have a hot take on this band. But we'll get to that when we get in the track by track. I'll give you my hot take and see what you think. Bring it in hot, buddy. Bring, Bring it, it in, in hot. hot. Bring it out. Let, Let's have a hot delivery <laughs> as we <laughs> look at the track by track of Dirt. T, let's drop the needle. That's the needle on the record. That's the needle on the the needle on the the needle on the, the, needle, the, the, needle, the When the drum beats go like this. Well, in keeping with the theme of dirt, T, let's just go right into it. Them bones. Ah, 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 I so I think that opening, ah, is the only thing on this song that is just Lane Staley's voice on its own uh for the most part i think everything else is harmonized which gets to my hot take and i've had arguments with this with big time Allison chains fans which you and i know a few all right and my take is that jerry cantrell is far and away the the only irreplaceable member of alison chains oh easily uh, who said that that's hot you know there's a lot of people that would that say that lane's voice was really the key and that his unique voice was kind of the the thing that made alison chains special but I don't think so. In my opinion, it's all about the harmonies and Cantrell's voice and his ability to harmonize with Lane is really what gave it the sound. And Them Bones is a perfect example. No argument for me on the Cantrell thing. So a question for you. I,
0: did you know of them or hear Man in the Box prior to this record or to Wood coming out? Because I didn't.
1: No, man. I, I, seriously, I, <laughs> Man in the Box was something I discovered I think really closer to when dirt came out. Yeah. I don't remember it being on the radio a lot. Maybe it, it was empty.
0: It had to be after. I mean, for me, I can say with assuredness, I did not hear man in the box, even though it came out two years before this until after dirt, until after yeah. the band hit. And the reason I bring that up is for many people, uh, myself included other than wood, which came out on the single soundtrack months before this, this was the first track they were hearing from the band those that at least didn't absorb facelift, which I would assume that many didn't. So yeah, to come out in this sort of blazing fashion and with that vocal, which, I mean, obviously that's all lane, but you know, you get a idea very early on here, you know, that this is, um, this is going to be pretty hard charging. Whereas wood was a little bit more of a mid tempo, you know, had kind of a groove to it. This one is just sort of a punchy in the gut. And for many, it was the first song other than that, that they heard. And it's a hell of a way to kick this album off with a lot of power.
1: I think some of the issue with man in the box is that facelift is not a very good album. You know, I've tried to get into facelift. I just yeah, don't like it. It's, it's not, you're right. It's too sludgy. It, there's no melody to it. it. Some of the things that we'll talk about, just the brilliance of dirt, which we'll get to really in track three and four uh, are not even close to present on yeah. facelift. You know, it, it sounds like a debut record. And so, and I agree with you. I think man in the box was something that was a little bit hidden from the mainstream. Maybe it got some airplay, but not at times where I would have noticed, you know, in, in 1990 and 1991 dirt really was, I remember kind of thinking after I listened to facelift, Oh great. That's what I, whatever I, I want to go back to dirt and keep, continue to get into that. So, you know, that the, uh, when I saw him at the most recent show, they played them bones kind of in the first half of the set and when the song ends you know kind of ends on a dime and it just would not have been right to not have that be immediately followed by splat do 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 and track two which is damn that river Well, damn that river is interesting for me too. Um, I think it's, I think it's a great example of fantastic verse, kind of shitty chorus. I've just never really liked the chorus to this song. I feel like this, and you know, I gotta say, I think a lot of it is that it's just Lane on the chorus, and I like Lane and Jerry because Jerry's the key. Hot take, hot take. But it, it also is elevated by, you know, tremendous bridge where Cantrell's soloing and, you know, it's great. And and then, of course, the verses really are outstanding. I mean, the, the vocal harmonies are just, you know, locked in. And I just think it would be exceptional if it didn't have such a crappy chorus.
0: Well, I think that they're, they're fans that really like the uh, metal power pump your fist aspect of Alice in Chains. Love this song uh, I'm more into the off tempo, off time harmonization stuff that they do, which is very, very creative and often complex. So when they just, and I think Facelift did a lot of this to your earlier point where it was just kind of hard charging stuff. I think it's okay. I mean, I, I definitely think the verses outweigh the chorus here as well. You know, I think you're right about that. It's a bottom half rated song for me on the record. Right. And, and So I, I used to, uh, play an acoustic version of this with another dude and, uh, it was fun to play, but I mean, it's just sort of a drop D mess. It's not anything terribly intricate. So I think if you're just looking for a like mosh pit, you know, pump your fist kind of song from these guys, uh, this is going to be the choice of many. It would be a bottom half choice for me, not my favorite.
1: I'm in full agreement on that, but bottom half on dirt is still pretty damn good yeah yeah no doubt speaking of pretty damn good i i think track three and four on this album has to be the best two song run in the 90s it just has to be i I, if there's one better i'd love to know it but it is just this is where the album goes from great to special in my opinion and it begins with track three which is rain when i die Okay, so Lane is kicking ass on this song. Let's just say it right now. Yeah. If there's one song that debunks the hot take, it's it's Rain When I Die. When I was younger listening to this song, I, my first thought was that it was um, kind of creepy, you know, in a good way. The word creepy has taken a whole new connotation in our lexicon in the last few years. There's a, there's a few creepy ones on this, uh, on yeah, this disc. <laughs> kind of a goosebump sort of track in that kind of chills up your spine sort of way. I gotta tell you, lately, in my more mature years, oh yes, it's the verses are in, incredibly sexy. Uh, it, it's uh, it's almost like a, you know, um, you know, uh, now taking the stage storm yeah. sort of song. Now is sure. kind of the way I, I hear, but it's got a, a sleaziness to the verses, yeah, the chorus to an extent, but certainly the verses. It sort of swings in this really loose, very, very interesting way musically. It's it's very daring. Well, first of all, when you use the word, uh, I, I would really prefer you use the hard
0: T on mature. Um, that would be uh, preferred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that really proves your uh, maturity when you do that. No, I, um, Alison Chains uh, got it so right during this era when you had a verse that set sort of one tone and one framework and then a chorus that sort of took you in a different direction, but both were memorable. And to your point, I, I mean, I think the verses of this are pretty like sleazy and really creative. And, uh, and this was a unique sound. People weren't doing this at the time in terms of that harmonization and that sort of guitar work and, um, you know, even to an extent, the bass lick, you know, this was new stuff. The chorus is magnificent. And, um, it is a, an area on the album, I think this, and then the chorus to wood are the two areas where, where lane, you know, really shined, uh, the brightest. It is probably the best song on the record. Um, it could be argued that wood is up there. And I know many have some other favorites, but in terms of this being a little bit more drawn out, a little bit more sort of epic. It was the moment for me because Them Bones is like, yeah, it's this pumper and damn that river is like a mosh pit song. When I heard Rain When I Die, even back in 92, it was like, OK, this is different. This is, this is goosebumpy and this is fantastic. And I want more of this, you know? And then obviously as you plowed through the album, these dynamics, which I think are a big part of what make dirt special, you know, really, you realize that they really are kicked off more so by track three than they are the previous two, which heat you up and get you ready. But rain when I die, I think is a pivotal moment on the record that really sends you into something that's unique and special.
1: And we might get arrested by the music police if we don't at least cite and reference maybe the only cool example ever of the false ending. Cause usually when bands do the (laughs) false ending, I think it's, it's lame. It's like gimmicky. There's something about this song and the, the tone of it and the, even the lyrics of it, the atmosphere of it, that the false ending really works when it fades out and then slowly fades back in. And then I don't know if you ever noticed, but when they fade it back in, it's pushing. I mean, they clip it almost near the end of it. it you know, the, the, the master volume rises up louder than the actual song. It's just very cool little trick that they do at the end there.
0: And Jordan, I mean, he's a producer, but obviously he's an engineer by nature. Every album he produced, he also engineered. So that's, those are the type of things you get when you have somebody sort of uh, overseeing both of those approaches.
1: I'd like to do a quick little game here because we talk so much on the podcast about lyrics. So I'd like you to put your hands up and I just want you to take your best stab right now okay. at what, what is First the. Well, you know how terrible I am at
0: lyrics. But, well, but, you know, I, we
1: both ahead. are, but, but this <laughs> this song in particular and this band in particular. So I want you to take your best stab right now at what are the lyrics of the opening verse. So, you know, when I wanna win, when I wanna win got to da 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 doom. take your best step. Was she slipping
0: inside my frustration? Bl- something, something slow castration. That's all I can give you. Cause I I'm so I'm, fo- my brain is so focused on different things happening, different things moving during those verses.
1: The lyrics are like the least of my, uh, you know, focus. So of course, like mean, course. course. Yeah. So what I wanted to catch was the whole point of that was to see if you Castration. The word castration yeah of course did. Yeah. yeah slow castration not, yeah. Just, not just any castration yeah and and, and so the, the opening verse is, is she ready to know my frustration was she slipping inside slow castration hmm. i'm yeah. a riddle so strong you can't break me did she come here to try try to take me now the reason i bring that up is I, I have no idea what and i don't know if it's jerry or lane who wrote this i have no idea what that's about but i do know it's it's one of the great examples i've ever heard of lyrics that whether they mean something or not are just perfect for the tone of the song. And you know, the word castration is in it. So there's that. It's funny. You know, it's funny. I got a challenge that uh, you think that "Rain when I die is the best track on the album. Cause I think it's the second best. I think the best track is track four, just an unbelievably moving song, which is down in a hole. All right, Maestro, did you nail that or what? <laughs> one, far and away, you know, one of the best parts of the album is that moment right there where Jerry does the, you know, the pick slide and then oh, yeah. boom. No I, doubt about it. You know, probably listen to this song 2000 times in my life. Still get chills when I hear it. Still get goosebumps. Still, it still has a, a, an emotional impact. There's something about the construction of it. And this is a, an example where lyrics I do think count. Lane's desperation really comes through maybe for the first time in the whole album. You you really feel like this guy is not singing rock songs. He's he's crying out and that, that means something. But, um, you know, for me, I, I think the, the key to the song is just the, the dynamics of it. You know, it's willing to be quiet at certain points. Once you hit that part where Jerry and Lane are singing together in the bridge. If you're not a true believer at that moment, then I don't know, maybe you're not human, but I think yeah. down hole is just a really, really special song. Well, they have this unique
0: ability to be soothing and powerful in some of these songs. And, you know, you saw that as they continued. I mean, every album of theirs typically has a couple tracks that, you know, feature uh, something a little bit more stripped down, a little bit more sort of slow tempo. Something with some depth, I mean this you know this has a Spanish guitar progression that's really pretty. they're able to perfectly capture the ability to be beautiful and powerful on this song, and yeah, it's a very, very special track and and one that I, I gotta say took me a while you know i I think in my younger years, I saw this as uh you know them being kind of slow and sappy or whatever but man, now you realize when you assess all the different parts and how the choruses lead into the verses leading into sort of the bridge pieces and, and boy, that layer that, you know, was just played where you kind of bring in that, that ring out guitar and everything kind of steps up in terms of layering and in terms of power for that second verse is really magnificent. So yeah, special song.
1: I'm going to give down in a hole. I'm going to propose this with a Dolly Willy roll. Uh, That's the idea on the podcast that if Dolly Parton or Willie Nelson did a cover of it, meaning that if anyone did a cover of it, that it would still be, you know, um, a hit at the least, but if not just something great, well, it'd have to be a
0: duet because of the harmony. So, you know, uh, (laughs) this would be one where they'd have to actually attack it together. But
1: uh, yeah, I think that plays. I think that works. Track five, as we move along here, heroin song, sick man. They're playing with the tempo changes here, which, you know, is a thing for Alice in Chains, for sure, especially in this album. But, uh, you know, pretty dark song, especially once you get to that chorus. But then there's a lift to the chorus again, vocal harmonies, man, it's the key to the whole thing that sort of brings it a little more life. But uh, it's a little bit of a schizophrenic song, but I think that kind of reflects what they were going for with the content of it.
0: Yeah, it's okay. I, you know, I think that this is probably one of the weaker points and it's not as creative as the other work, you know, and, 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 these guys, I often like when bands sort of strip things down and provide space and simplify, not these guys, I think they're at their best when they're layered, when they're harmonizing, when they're thoughtful, uh, when there's depth, you know, when they do these kind of songs that are more just sort of nuttily, And in this case, you know, you've got some kind of goofy, um, you know, time shifts in some of these things, but I don't see any of it as particularly thoughtful or interesting. So sick man to me is a, uh, it's a flipper. It's a duffer in my opinion, buddy.
1: Yeah. It's a little jagged. I, I agree with that. And, and it's interesting because it leads into probably the, the least jagged song On the record. And that is, you know, the conclusion of Side One, if you're listening on vinyl. And a song that probably the cultural moment of Dirt, and that is Rooster. Here come the rooster. very personal song for jerry cantrell who you know most people know wrote this about his father who was in the vietnam war snuff the rooster was a term that was used during the war and so obviously i think it's cantrell sort of working through the impact that vietnam likely had on his dad and so it's a personal song it's it's Relevant culturally, you kind of, you know, it's a little bit of a history lesson in a way. I remember it increased my fascination with the Vietnam War and I was 12, uh, hearing this song. And, but none of that happens if it's not music that speaks to you. And I think that, you know, it's, it's draggy, it's, uh, spacey, but there's certainly some force to it as well. And I think that's, you know, it's kind of the quintessential Alison Chain song in the way that it's, it's not exciting in tempo but it's impactful. I think it's very
0: impactful. I think this is a really important song from the decade, to be honest with you. It's not my favorite on the record, but I think this song was important to Alice in Chains fans, but also to those that were sort of dabbling. I think the best tracks on this album are these six plus minute sort of ones that are a little bit more drawn out and a little bit more epic, like rain when I die and rooster. Um, A very good vocal performance, which is primarily driven by Lane on this one. Uh, I think it's a super important song from this era. You know, I think it's one that's probably certainly one of the one or two that people are really going to take away as, you know, timeless. I mean, you go on, you know, your Spotify's and your satellite radios and those things, and you listen to kind of 90s uh, grunge mixes and playlists and these things, and Rooster's a, a mainstay. Uh, And it should be, I think it's a, it wouldn't make my top three on the album, but I think as far as importance might be one of the more important tracks on the album, as far as kind of what it was signaling at the time and the depth that it was showing at the time.
1: You flip the side and it's sort of at 12 (laughs) was kind of our beavis and butthead moment in the sense that it was like, (laughs) he just said, you know, he just said, fuck, but you flip the side. And the first thing you just hear is junk. Fuck. But really, it's a heroin song called Chunkhead. Maybe the one song where Mike Starr really stands out, you know, his bass work is is an important part of the chorus. He's kind of climbing up the neck. I've always really liked junket. I I think the chorus is great. Um, I remember not being able to connect with the content lyrically directly, but I, I musically, I just, I really like the way it builds towards a brighter chorus against this really, really doomy verse.
0: Yeah. I mean, studying Jerry's guitar work is really fascinating. There's a lot of people that, I mean, kind of see him as a, a real master with the wah usage. Uh, some people really respect his ability to provide chop in these type of things. Uh, he also was a great, you know, soloist. He wasn't like a shredder, but he could really provide good feel in those things when soloing. But one of my favorite moves of his is the sort of delicate finger picking layer. You hear it on rain when I die in the chorus and you hear it on junkhead in the chorus. And I think that's one of those Understated things that takes what would have already been a catchy, you know, effective chorus, and just puts that finishing touch, that icing on the cake, uh, from a guitar standpoint, that sort of layers these delicate picking moves over this really sludgy, strong, um, you know, sort of high gain and wah stuff that he was obviously sort of trademarked and, and known for. And so for that reason, I I think Junkhead's chorus and Rain When I Die's chorus are probably the two, I mean, in addition to Wood, of course, probably uh, two of the more memorable chorus moments on the record, certainly. It's a strong point. I like Junkhead.
1: It's an interesting middle of the album. It sort of settles in to this whole vibe, and that continues with track eight, title track, Dirt. lane might've written that melody right there. Cause he wrote angry chair, which we'll get to and it just sounds like kind of a similar idea. Again, these really simple melodies, but you know, dirt's got a nice build to it. Again, it's not exciting in terms of tempo, but you know, really gets into that kind of pocket of, of doomy atmosphere and, and dirt continues that.
0: Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. I think it's just a. Uh, there are a couple moments here on the back half of, you know, sort of meh. And, and I think that uh, y- you start to hear things that, you know, could have easily been on facelift. Um, but listen, I mean, this, the, the front half of this record is so strong. There's no way that you can maintain that or sustain that. So, you know, a couple moments here. And I think dirt is one of them where, particularly, you know, 30 ish years later, where things start to sound a little bit, not so much dated, but just sort of more, I guess, immemorable. And, uh, and I think dirt's one of those. And there are probably a couple more that we'll get to here.
1: There indeed are. And the next one happens to be not the band from the two thousands, but the track Godsmack. aside from a a riff during the verse, that's kind of just a cool Cantrell riff. I I think it's kind of a dumper. It's, it's unnecessary in terms of like tempo. I think that it's almost like they've tried to force more of a rocker onto the second half because it's so sludgy. And I I just don't think Godsmack is very effective. I, I, the riff is fine. Maybe they rushed it. I don't know, but they're they're, They could have done more with it. I think it's in the end, it's a pretty forgettable tune.
0: Yeah, pass. I mean it's it's you know, again, when Allison Chains just got sort of um, you know, you, you you've used a term on here, dumb rock, almost like dumb metal. Uh, and when they lost that complexity and that thoughtfulness, I think they became average, you know, uh, on a few points in this in this record. Now, listen, like I said, a lot to live up to in the front half, but you know, you get dirt and godsmack here back to back and eh, starts to starts to dilute a little bit, starts to weaken a little bit. So,
1: and I imagine you might think that with the next track, which is one of two that Lane Staley plays guitar on, so you know you can make an assumption that this song was a big deal to him, and especially he. I mean, he wrote it individually. It's one of two songs in the album that Lane wrote with no help from Jerry. Once again, hot take. Jerry, most irreplaceable member of the band. But these next two songs written by Lane Staley completely on his own, including the music. First one is "Hate to Feel."
0: of a uh, typo negative there huh with the chromatics
1: and the uh <laughs> shift to a slow tempo huh? i was just about to say it sounds like typo doesn't it Did you? yeah, yeah <laughs> it's very typo and it it shows you a couple of things number one uh typo is still better at being typo than anybody else including alice <laughs> and in chains right I, th- I like hearing Lane's singular voice. Maybe it has something to do with that. He's he's not with us anymore, but hearing a couple of tracks that he wrote on his own is interesting. Obviously the next one works, you know, quite a bit better than hate to feel.
0: Yeah. Again, I, I think now we're at three that just, you know, I don't think the wheels are falling off, but they're certainly, uh, you know, the bolts and lugs are loosening here. So Let's see how these next two play out, huh?
1: Yeah, look, if the bolts and lugs are loosening, I I think the album closes quite successfully. I think that's fair to say. Track 12, Angry Chair. totally by lane staley he played guitar on a live team what do you think of angry chair very good um
0: you know i think that uh yeah you know, listen lane had some chops he had some writing chops no question
1: is that him on that uh who is it on the uh I, yeah. I think it's both of them double is and it then, yeah because okay. you can you can hear two voices in there but then during the lost my mind part Lane tip does his typical thing where he goes up to the high voice control stays low and then you got the harmony. Gotcha. So that's, that's them
0: doubled. I mean, it sounds really good. Yeah. I think it's a song with a lot of dynamics sort of, sort of gets you back going again, gets you revved up again after uh three sort of duds in my opinion, and obviously takes you into the, to the final track pretty nicely.
1: I like the whole intro. You know, I like that it starts with Sean Kinney's drums and then do, 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 it's just got this mystery to it.
0: Well, it's an iconic. I mean, that's a it if you're is. talking about like nineties music that you've heard, you know, as the bumper to things and the intro and outro to things it's, you know, the, the intro to angry chair is one that's, uh, you know, almost reached iconic status. So and I the guess.
1: poppiest part of the album far and away T is the ba 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 boom. And that's, you know, that's a trick that sync could have used, you know I mean? Think about how important that is to the song. Cause without that, I mean, that is the hook of the song. It's a strange hook. It's very 90s Alice Chains hook, but it's a hook nonetheless. And I think it works really well. All right. The song that you ruined for me. That's a lot to do. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Closes the record. And that is Wood. So you ruined it for me by overplaying the hell out of it every morning before school. I would hear it at least twice. It was a little bit overplayed even before you started with your antics. We heard it so much through the singles soundtrack and this was played on radio a ton, but I will tell you that I didn't really start appreciating this song until you and I started playing it in our band. And that was, Oh yeah, now I get it. Like, Oh, the dual vocal thing. And you know, yeah. The bass being as sort of complex as it is, the drum part is really cool. I mean, learning this drum part was kind of eye-opening for me. It was like, oh, that's what he's doing. And that's why I heard that when I was 12. So I, I think it's an example of overexposure led to me not appreciating the, the creativity behind the song. But it's a very, very creative hit single. And, and one that I would uh, anticipate we wouldn't see again in today's non-mainstream mainstream
0: one of the best songs of the nineties. I've already talked about it quite a bit. Um, the dynamics are amazing. The, the vocal performance is incredible. I love the switch off, you know, you got Jerry singing solo on the verses and lane singing solo on the, uh, choruses. And obviously that chromatic sort of walk down the stairs during the outro is great. And is, you know, again, treated with a perfect vocal from Lane. It's, it's, I think it's a perfect song. It's wonderfully produced, uh, the performances are amazing. You, you go back and watch them around this time playing this song live on, on a night where Lane hadn't blown his voice out and, and was having a good night. It's, it's really pretty incredible. And they always played it a little bit slow in tempo, which I always liked. Really accentuated the groove, which is uh, an important part of it, to your point about sort of the drum line. You know, hey, one of the best songs of the 90s. I think they, they sort of tacked this on, but it's cool that it's the ending track, closing track. And uh, wraps up what was a very special album at the time in probably appropriate fashion all in all.
1: Well, they did their job to close up an album. Let's do our job to close up our analysis with did it matter? So, T, did Alice in Chains Dirt matter? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, it's 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 a record that showed that you
0: can take a different approach. Uh, You can do some things that are a bit uh, complex, but still have it appear Sort of to this more simple minded early 90s rock and grunge audience, because that's what it was. It was about minimalism and simplicity. But these guys were able to take some really complex vocal and musical concepts and make them super, super digestible to an audience that at that point was really getting used to things that were a lot more simplified. So I think in that way, it showed that going out there with something that's rock and metal. But something that brings a lot of dynamics, a lot of complexity is something that, you know, that, that listeners at the time and radio at the time and MTV at the time can really absorb. And and for that, I think it was really important. Now, these guys, you you said it earlier and you're correct. They never really matched this. So um, even with its imperfections, particularly on the back half of the record, you know, it it was still something that was their best work. Uh, All in all, it was my album of the year in 1992. Uh, and I think for the most part holds up really well. And I think that's because they they took a lot of uh, chances in terms of really delivering on some things that shifted minor keys and major keys, uh, obviously more minor than not, uh, shifted vocal harmonies into things that really weren't utilizing those kind of that, that, that sort of harmonic approach prior to that, and then packaging it in something that had a lot of power And in most cases throughout the record, a lot of depth, which at the time, the combination of all those things was pretty unheard of. So yeah, I think this one mattered quite a bit. What do you think, buddy?
1: You know, Dirk gives me hope because if you would have played this for somebody in 1989 and said, hey, in three years, this album is going to be multi-platinum and top charts and become one of the great albums of the decade, I think people would have said, are you crazy? That gives me hope for right now. And I know that the the industry is so different and there really is no such thing as a mainstream anymore. Maybe we're due for something to come along that can become popular, maybe even mainstream that nobody would expect. And we can begin pushing boundaries with rock music again, instead of just creating festival rock that people can, you know, bounce around to and turn their phone around on themselves and something that sounds good being played through earbuds, through a phone. And so in that sense, it gives me a little bit of hope because it would have been just as crazy in 1989 to to understand that this album would have been a huge hit as it would right now. I am a little bit stunned that uh, young listeners have not rediscovered Alice and Chains. I think they're one of the most important bands of the decade, but also kind of get it because they're different and they're a little weird and they're a little out there. And Dirt certainly shows that as well. But yeah, the album gives me hope. And for that reason, I, I think it matters for sure. So T, let's do the final cut. Do you have Dirt? Would you go against one of your albums of the year? Would you actually do that? We're about to find out. Would, do you have Dirt on the turntable? Is it in the collection? Is it collecting dust? Or is it in the for sale? But it's not in the for sale. Bin. But T, what do you got? no but it is collecting
0: dust and and that is really because the back half's pretty weak um it does finish strongly but the back half always had a lot to live up to no questions you don't want to you know put too high of a standard on it the front half holds up extremely well the back half it starts to sound a little 90s not quite as thoughtful uh and not quite as interesting and you know you can pick sort of five or six from this and put it on a playlist and run with it and kind of be okay. I think going top to bottom on it, you know, I, I think even a modern ear would kind of say the front half of that is really amazing and dynamic. Uh, but the back half, eh, sort of until you get to the last two. So it's a great record. It was my album of the year. There's no denying. And, and I, like I said, in does it matter? I do find it to be very important. For me, top to bottom, it's a dust collector, uh, which doesn't really take anything away from it other than time and longevity. And I think that there are moments that could have held up better, uh, but certainly there are some moments on here that are special and always will be.
1: What do you got, Nub? You know, I'm, I'm so fascinated by that choice and I'm a little bit surprised. It makes me think, I think we should do a show where we go through our albums of the year and then we assign the final cut to them. To see how they've stood the test of time, because, you know, if we would have done final cut in 1992, you would have put dirt on the turntable for sure. And now it's a different rating. And I would love to hear you go through your albums of the year and give them that, not that rolling stone, like reassessment bullshit, (laughs) but, but an actual assignment to the final cut, because it would also give a glimpse as to what the album means to you now versus previously. Well, we've done a couple of them already. I think that's a great idea. Hey, maybe episode 70.
0: That's part of our, uh, our segment. On the, I like uh, it. Yeah. I like I think it. You're on, I it. think you're onto
1: something. You should start a podcast someday. Maybe one day I'll try. Maybe that's I'll right. just try hard. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, see, I've got dirt on the turntable. I think that the reason why is because, yes, the valleys are a little low and there's a few but the mountains are pretty unbelievable. And you're talking about a majority of the album, you know, Them Bones, Damn That River, Rain When I Die and Down in a Hole are are just two of the best songs maybe ever produced by a rock band. Rooster, Angry Chair, Wood. I mean, that's like top tier. And then even second tier, you got a couple tracks that are really effective, even though maybe they don't reach the heights of those. So, I mean, you've got, High, high standard here that's met, and yeah, there's a couple duffaroos, but in this case, I'm living with those, and I'm putting dirt on the turntable, man. I'd still love this record, and still love this into it, top to bottom, and I like the way it's sequenced because, yeah, in the middle, it, it loses a little bit of pace, but then you're looking forward to that ending with the, that two song hammer at the end. So, on the turntable for me, too. Can't blame me for that, buddy. It is time. We heard three albums earlier. It's time to hear three songs. And what's ringing in your head, T, as we take episode sixty-three in your head? T, three songs ringing in your head. What do you got?
0: The first is "High Voltage" by uh, this band called uh, ac Oh,
1: do, do you like the live version on ACDC Live? Oh yeah, I, oh, I like every so version good. of this. The 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 one for you know you want blood.
0: The old live album with Bon Scott is phenomenal the studio version is great. And the, the one from live, which obviously is that fantastic early nineties, Brian Johnson live record is, I mean, I just think that that's a song that's really tough to screw up, you know? And, uh, they always pull it out at the right time at those shows. You know, the one on live is that long, it's like 10 minutes, right? Where they have that long piece in the middle. And yeah, I think that's pretty sweet. Yeah. You want some dirty deeds? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: We're, we're going full circle on that one. The second is uh, a song by uh, uh, this guy named Dave Matthews. You know the guy? Yeah. Heard of him. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, off the Grugrach's King. And it's funny the way it is, which was a single. And man, it's a... F- really good song. Like it's one of those Dave songs. It's like, there, there are some songs that are sort of, you know, timeless, just in what they are. There are some that you get super sick of. And there are a few where it's like, this is very good. Like this is something that I'm going to be listening to for years. And funny the way it is for me is, uh, is one of those. And the third buddy is a song by Lou Rawls. And it's called You'll Never Find Another. Because, I mean, come on, everyone needs a little more Lou Rawls in their life from
1: time to time, don't you think? There is no
0: doubt. What's in your head, man?
1: First is a solo track from one of the most overlooked and I think underrated individuals from any band. And that is Greg Raleigh from Journey. Oh, you, told song. Me to, you
0: told me to listen. I, you, you texted me a couple days ago to listen to this song and I haven't yet, but I will. Oh, I
1: will. You need to. It's the opening so, track off of, I think Greg Rowley's first solo album, you know, he's in Santana and then journey spent all those years with journey and it's young love and it's a killer, killer song. Just a great opener. Greg Rowley. Yeah. Greg Rowley. You know, love Greg Rowley. Second, you know, we mentioned some, uh, some artists from Christian labels earlier and, you know, I gotta say, this is, this is probably one of my favorite songs. It's just absolutely amazing song from a band that's not particularly amazing. It's Newsboys, which is kind oh, yeah. of a you know kind of a crappy. Um, well, yeah, I mean they had some moments, but but the, uh, later in their career they did a song called "Stay Strong," remarkable yeah. song. I yeah. just I put that one on your list too, T. Yeah. They
0: had a few good ones, the newsboys, definitely. I prefer, I'm not ashamed to let you know (laughs) what this light in me to show. I'm not ashamed to speak the
1: name that's that's probably
0: yeah. my favorite yeah
1: well i i gotta tell you if i did a top 100 songs there would probably be two newsboys songs in it that wouldn't be one of them was that one stay of them strong. No. Nah. Stay what, strong? About my, what about my version is that in your top 100 it or? was ama- it was absolutely fabulous okay so. thank you yep. but they have another song called entertaining angels that's another song i really like but i gotta tell you for my third track you know it, it's amazing the way the podcast works i keep images of these as we go during the week. And then I have them ready. And we mentioned this band. What do you, what do you see you on the screen? Yeah, we sure did.
0: That's uh, the, the, uh, the, the Dave Jordan record that we referenced. That's Dave darkest Jordan days. produced
1: darkest days yeah.
0: and the song save yourself. Yeah. Save yourself is great. There's another great track on that one called you complete me not to be confused with uh, Jerry Maguire, but it is a fantastic song.
1: Well, I think the best song of the album is uh, how can I hold on? Yeah, that one's good too. They were a good band. They were definitely well. The, good band. They made some. They made three really good albums, and I, I don't know what happened, but yeah, Darkest Days was easily the best record for sure. And uh, holds up. Shame really well. is a
0: great song, but I think that was on the other album, right? It was, yeah. That I don't know if I am real without you. How can I used to think he said, "How can I have sex without <laughs> we, you?" We all did. I we think he's did. saying obsess, right? It's obsessed, right? But yeah. I thought he was saying, "How can I have sex without you?" I was like, "Well, I know how to do that. I can tell. I can tell you <laughs> how to do that. I mean, can give you a lesson. Yeah, you know? I've been doing that for forty years, so." Yeah. <laughs>
1: Very nice, very nice. Well, uh, yeah, that that takes us through episode sixty-three, T. And uh, nice to hear your insights on a former album of the year. I and mean, I would just say overall, it's been a very successful venture.
0: I agree, buddy. Good choice, and uh, enjoyed it. I was like going back to the '90s with ya.
1: Yep. And we'll see you very soon for episode sixty-four. We ask, as always, that you take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And we will see you soon for the next episode of Two Twins and. An album. Two
0: twins. Well, that's about it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing.
1: We will see you on tour. Until then, take it easy.